Welcome to Tech Breakfast, today's top headlines served hot. I'm your host, Darren Bewley. Grab your coffee and let's get into it. Joining me today is Russell Cantwell and Tyler Gates. Welcome, y'all. How's it going? Hello. All right, what tech headlines are y'all looking at? What's got you interested? Oh, man, there's all kinds of good stuff out there. All right, all right. I, I'm not gonna lie. My my favorite headline, probably from the last day or two, was uh, was about a world record-setting hydrogen fuel cell-powered drone continuous flight. So uh, a team continuously flew a drone for 331 minutes off of a hydrogen fuel cell, which is one of those technologies that's been around for a long time and is freaking awesome. And uh, it was actually 91 minutes longer than planned, which is amazing. And just think about what that could do in all kinds of industries from delivery to obviously, I mean, just the, the straightforward one, like flying your drone. That is a long freaking flight, which, which is cool because it's a clean burning fuel as well. And uh, it's, it, it's just brilliant. I don't know. It's off the charts for me. I think that is, that's so awesome. Tyler, I don't know anything about hydrogen fuel cells, but I'm willing to bet you do. And so <laughs> I am curious to know, <laughs> could, could these drones explode? Like, oh, absolutely. Is high- yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No, and uh, is be a feature myself, or isn't there a hydrogen a feature, bomb exactly. or is it a feature yeah. or a bug? So, so my understanding, and, and this isn't something I've kept up with uh, closely by any means. Um, I think I used to look into that stuff a little bit more back in the day, if you will. But um, there are a few different ways to do hydrogen fuel cells. Um, one of the originals, uh, which is pretty unstable, I think, was actually just to take water, right? You use, uh, I think it's electrolysis to actually separate the hydrogen and oxygen, and then you can do some cool stuff. Fuel cells are far more stable than that, and they're a lot safer. And I think they have some methods now that are highly unlikely to explode. But um, energy density is really high. That, and That's what I want to read on the box. Highly unlikely <laughs> to explode. Right? No. Somewhat uh, low probability. Somewhat low, yeah, exactly. I, I, it, it, honestly, it made me curious to dig back into what's going on in general in that industry, just to see what they've done to make them uh, less volatile and um, more effective. Because I, I don't think scalability is a problem anymore, especially if they're you know putting it in drone technology, even if it's a fairly large drone. I think that's a big step. But you can imagine if you can fly a drone for hours off of uh, a single fuel cell, you could probably power a car pretty straightforward too, realizing that it can use abundantly available fuel sources. And then the, the output is literally oxygen and, and the explosive that's gonna power stuff. So that's cool. I didn't realize there's actually, so just a quick Google search shows me there's actually five cars that are powered by hydrogen fuel cells. That doesn't surprise me. Uh, I know it's not mainstream. I think the biggest problem with mainstream adoption, it's actually just like any battery technology or, or I should say similar to battery technology. It's the, um, the supply chain in the field, right? So great, sure. fuel cells can do what you need to, but there isn't a gas station on every corner um, or the equivalent of a gas station on every corner. So it take a pretty um, intense infrastructure push to get uh, enough systems out in the wild to refuel your car if you're using it, so. Yeah, all right, next topic I got for y'all. Um, do you know y'all have, uh, have a Google Assistant? I do. I have used it, I have it, one with yes. me everywhere I go. Oh, there you go, yeah, it's in your phone, sure. Right. Um, so the ones that are the home devices, though, they're adding a new feature to adjust the sensitivity trigger. Did you know that was coming I out? I saw this. I saw this. 
I didn't read into it though. What, what'd you find out? Well, so my curiosity was, cause I don't have one. Uh, I use a, an Alexa. My parents use the Google assistant, but do you find that it triggers too easily sometimes? That seemed to be the no. concern. Uh, I, I haven't uh, had I that. I find issue. that my Alexa does. <laughs> yeah. so I don't Especially know the one that, that uses that. computer as a wake word. That might've been a mistake. <laughs> uh, I, no, I, mean, I, I haven't noticed have that. I, I just, I haven't used it. Um, much. I actually got it out of a, you know, we moved a month ago now, I guess at this point. So I, I got it randomly out of a box yesterday. I was like, I'm gonna plug this in, but I didn't. And I didn't know it, but maybe I was thinking, I'm not plugging this in because it's too sensitive and triggers too much. If they fix that, <laughs> maybe I'll plug it in. I, this must, there must be people that talk a lot more about Google than I do. Um, and I know that's weird. Google is very much in my life, but I, I guess I just don't say it out loud very much. Cause I, I yeah. have two. I've got a, a Google Home device that actually sits right here on my desk, and uh, it it probably triggers I don't know once a week on accident, but not much. And then I have a mini that sits out in my den, which I I forget I got as some bundle with something, but I wanted to see how it compared to the Alexa devices that I've got for some of the IFTTT commands, um, because I feel like. I don't know, one out of 10 attempts with Alexa will just fail for no reason. You'll kind of get all of the positive feedback, but it just doesn't work. Um, and Google was good, but I found that I just didn't use it. I'm so used to saying Alexa. It doesn't surprise me that your Alexa fails every now and then. The only thing that it can tell me is like Barack Obama's height. I can't get it to answer <laughs> any other question that I ask from it. So I, I think whenever I use my Google Assistant on my phone, it does a far better job of answering the random questions that I have for the device. That's interesting. Uh, yeah, so they're adding a really little a software slider um, in the application where you can move it hmm. to like least sensitive or most sensitive or leave it at the default. default. Interesting. Yeah. I don't, like I said, I haven't had issues with it. I don't see it lighting up and, and notifying me that it's been picked up. Like the one that's in the den, living room, whatever room that is. Um, the Alexa device that sits right next to it will accidentally perk up every, I don't know, every day, at least once or twice on accident, especially overhearing like TV chatter. Um, I don't notice the Google device doing the same. Yeah. That said, it's not as obvious when the Google device picks up because their LED for those home minis are actually on top um, as opposed to like in a ring around the side. So yeah. it may be doing it and I just don't notice it. Russ, I got another one for you here. Uh, so I'm seeing headlines of gaming sales are up, but production is down. What are your thoughts on that? No, ha. I don't think I understand. I don't think I understand it. When you're saying gaming sales are up, so, but we are less productive. Is that, is that <laughs> no, shocker. Uh, no, I think what they're saying there is, I guess, uh, due to work from home requirements and uh, the the production of games not being a, an essential business. Um, I haven't looked into oh. how some of these companies are are doing this, but in terms of writing um, yeah. features into the code and all that kind of stuff. It, it is interesting. So I have seen, so you you look at yearly releases. So sports games have yearly releases. Call of Duty has a yearly release. Uh, I have heard rumblings that the, the newest Call of Duty game has uh, a possibility of being pushed back a little bit, which is rare for Call of Duty. They're, they're tend to, they tend to be like clockwork you know, whenever they come out. So uh, I will say the, so Call of Duty, the newest one that's coming out actually got pushed a year forward because they, they shifted development studios around. So being that they were already working on an accelerated timeline to try and push something out from three years of development to two years of development, 
plus COVID moving everyone away uh, from being able to work together. Because I, you know, software development, video game development is largely, especially for large projects. I mean, it's an in-person activity, and I, maybe we don't think of it that way because you can code remotely. But that is, I could see that pushing a lot of these larger projects back further. While at the same time, we have some projects from smaller studios like Riot who are releasing like Valorant that released in a closed beta. And, you know, a lot, of, a lot of people have been able to get on and play a brand new launch and release of a game. Granted, they probably had that beta ready pretty early on. So that was probably ready right before yeah. all of this stuff hit the fan. So we're, these fall releases that we expect coming that are put, putting finishing touches on, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see some of them push to spring. Um, you know, or summer of next year. Uh, that usually happens because they don't want to compete with each other, but I can see the development timelines definitely running longer, for sure. Do, do you think, like, and, and I'm definitely naive to the process, um, but when you say big studios making those large releases are, there's a lot of, you know, in-person collaboration, do you think that that's just a function of they could and maybe it's something that they weren't prepared to do more remotely? Because I, I can imagine certain things, if you're trying to do some crazy motion capture where you quite simply can't do that without a, a significant setup, team of people, obviously there's a lot of interaction, that kind of stuff could get slowed down. But when it comes to coding and storyline, these, these could be done remotely. They just kind of don't do them yeah, remotely. I think a lot of them can be done remotely. I think their, their way of working is different. I like think of a whiteboarding session we would have with a customer. Like they have storyboard sessions that they go through and sure. work and. And even as, as it's understanding, like, what, is, what a character's motions are going to look like, they tend to work through those in drawing form first, and then they go into the animation exactly. studio. The animation studio aspect, it, let's say they need to redo an animation, or they need to redo something that's not functioning correctly. They may have built all those animations two years ago, but yeah. they may two months before try and put a new one in or fix one that's having a clipping issue somewhere or something like that. They can't get into that studio. So I think there are elements of it that can be done remotely and they, they just have to shift just like we have all shifted to the, the approach sure. that we're doing things. But I think some of it will actually physically require in-person work. So it really just depends on where they are in the stage of development. That makes sense. I, I would imagine for a large game like Call of Duty that is pushed a year forward already, they're probably doing a lot of things in parallel. And oh, yeah. some of those things in parallel could be done without issue remotely. Maybe some mm -hmm. of them were already the other subset of them though, right? Um, the physical work where you're getting actors, whether they're voice or, or like uh, bodily yeah. function, just, you know, going out and doing, you know, military people going out and Raising. doing all that stuff. So, you know, they, they have a lot of stuff that goes on that requires that physical movement. It'd be, yeah. it'd be kind of neat to see a critical path uh, for game development and realize everything that could be sort of eliminated in person if they had to. I, I wonder if honestly that, current event is going to create a lot of those sorts of assessments right how do we how do we make sure as few things as possible are impacted by something that drives a lot of work from home activity against our will even yeah i can see a scenario where you know they we see software augmenting a lot of things we traditionally did with hardware before uh, physical stuff so like pictures right now are a big aspect of that so you have an iphone you have an android some form of post-processing is going on hmm. on all of these pictures right now that makes them dramatically better than they used to be i could see a scenario where people are working with you know vr ar systems that are tracking movement and having them do the baseline functions for movement that they would need to record for a character in a game and then having software cool. smoothing out the rough edges yeah. of that i can see that being something that happens in the long term 
Uh, I mean, I know, Buley, you've been hanging out in VR lately because Daniel has, has mentioned to me multiple times after you all go through looking at V-Spatial and stuff like that, um, what it was yeah. like. So That was awesome know, that to get to future. meet him. And uh, the, just the capabilities of collaborating in VR, it, my that's mind so cool. was, was blown, right? There's a concept, and I want to get back to this other headline here that's related to gaming, but um, there's a concept that he's talking to me about uh, where, so if you think about in an office space, how your coworkers could walk by and just kind of casually see what you're working on and say, oh, hey, I was also working on that project. Here's some input I just got, or, or you know, hey, do you mind if I sit down and work on that with you? Or you know, what are you working on? So in VR, you've got the opportunity to sit there and you can choose who you want to broadcast your workspace to. That's so so cool. if you think about like in the 2D space, imagine if I'm just kind of selecting my, like a certain application I want to share on Zoom and I can choose this work group, right? And anytime they want, they can jump in and see uh, what, that, um, what that project is that I'm working on, right? Jump in and collaborate for a minute. And, and it's kind of, so it's kind of like the office hours. I mean, I think if you, yeah. people do office hours right now virtually where they just yeah. leave their their Zoom open or whatever and people sure. have the links to it, they can pop in whenever they want. This would be more real time. Yeah. yeah. It's like you you have access to this and you can walk in to my to my office. I, man, I can actually imagine can that being together. like a really beneficial way of sort of getting some of the benefits of uh, open office concepts without some of the pushback you get from people who can't really stand yeah yeah yeah, exactly (laughs) it's like i hear a lot of people and they're just like i can't stand this it does not work all the time stuff like that and of course this is a huge huge push in a lot of like headquarters you can imagine reinventing that space is not something you get to do all the time so you you go open office and then people are like this is terrible too bad it's what you got until 15 years from now and we get to do that again or whatever it is with with few exceptions um being able to get that open collaborative space, but being able to literally just flip a switch and turn it off, I would think would be pretty appealing for a lot of people. Yeah. There's a cool experience in auditorium style experience too, that they're working on um, cool. where everybody gets the best seat, right? Cause it's, it's virtual. And at the same time you can sit quote unquote with your friends and have conversation with them about cool. what the presenter is presenting and not interrupt people really that cool. around you as well. So you kind of have these like, that's like point to point communication. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's that's so cool. cool. Just the potential, and then if you if you see how um, I don't know, innovative might be sh- too strong of a word, but how creative people were getting with their uh, their Zoom backgrounds as people were flooding into this, you know, yeah. upload video and all that kind of stuff, or uh, you so know, those are great. Whatever the the potential of that in VR, um, you know, with avatars and creating like your own desk space with different views. Um, you know, where I met Daniel, I'm sitting here looking out over this lake. It kind of looked like uh, when we went to Switzerland, you know, you're just looking out down at this lake with these huge mountains in the background. It's beautiful. Anyway, yeah, VR is awesome. Um, yeah. Related back to uh, the gaming thing, um, I saw a headline this morning, Fortnite maker Epic Games is fundraising at above $15 billion value. Wow. Epic Games, $15 billion wow. value. Yeah, dude. Whenever you build the largest video game ever, and it just churns money like that, it's, it'll do something for you. And on top of that, they gained leverage from from Fortnite. For the longest time, you know, Valve and Steam owned the PC storefront market. Oh, I mean, yeah. completely owned it. I mean, I have five, six hundred games on it myself, and a lot of people won't buy from other stores. 
Well, once you started using the Epic launcher to play Fortnite, you already had that installed anyway. So one in, you know, barrier entry. And yeah. so they just did and they said, you know what? Steam takes 30% cut of, of revenue from developers when they sell in the store. We'll do it for 12. That's and awesome. you already have it installed because we know you play Fortnite. And so uh, <laughs> they were able to kind of work and get some exclusive access from developers because de developers had confidence in the platform from its scale. Yeah. And so now they, they gained another revenue line in their Epic storefront from the leverage they gained with Fortnite. And so that, that's kind of, it's great to not see to hear 15 billion. Gosh, that's, that's yeah, amazing. There's going to be a lot of changes coming. I mean, shoot, Valorant, you know, you guys know, I love Counter-Strike. Counter-Strike played for 20 years. It doesn't see a lot of change, which is actually part of its beauty, but it also gets somewhat neglected from Valve at times. Valorant's coming out, which is basically a Counter-Strike clone with some abilities thrown in is all, all of a sudden we've received like four or five Counter-Strike updates in the last two weeks. <laughs> Funny how that works. Funny how that works. <laughs> that is, that's awesome. So hopefully for the better. Ooh, hey, I got a, I got a fun one, Buley. Um, okay. I, I saw a, a title, again, I'm not sure if it was uh, yesterday, day before, but um, Folding at Home um, has, has reached new limits and is actually uh, scaling at 2.4 exaflops now which is uh, larger compute capacity power, right, than uh, the next 500 supercomputers together. What? So folding yeah, at home has too. seen this huge boon in growth, and uh, it's been fun to watch. Uh, so say that again. Like Amanda, it's, it's got more compute power than the top 500 supercomputers combined. in the world combined? Yes, together. That's exactly. Incredible. So, so 2.4 exaflops. Just right behind this screen. Yeah, yeah, same. And uh, it's been really neat to see because um, what was it? it was Lamb, uh, William Lamb and uh, Amanda Blevins on Twitter, you know, where I see them. But um, VMware you sort of collaborated behind the scenes to actually get Folding at Home working at, at, uh, in ESXi. So um, the, the VMware team for Folding at Home went from practically non-existent to, I think, ranked at 60 or, or above on the entire Folding at Home. Um, they were 19, I saw the other day. Okay, yeah, so, so they yeah. went even further high. I mean, that, that blows yeah. my mind. That, my, that's like a month, one month, that team collapsed. So you can, you can imagine like the sheer volume of contributors uh, at, at this current point in time. But it's really neat to see what Folding yeah. at Home is doing and, and how, just how it works, right? Because that's a distributed compute system that's absolutely off the charts. Incredible. That's so cool to me. Let's, let's hope this continues past COVID Yeah, because holding at home is trying to solve, I mean, don't get me wrong. COVID Obviously lots problem. of problems. It is trying to solve bigger, more problems, longer standing problems. Sure. Some problems that some people on this call have dealt with personally in the yeah. past. Right. So, uh, you know, th those are the things that hopefully this just sort of continues to, to help. It'd be nice to that. see it. Uh, I certainly hope so too. Just taking uh, orphaned compute and being able to put it towards something you know, this positive is great. I think it's actually pretty cool that, you know, COVID-19 obviously got a lot of people excited about folding at home. It was just good timing, but uh, you don't get to pick your project. So all of that, that compute that is available is going towards all kinds of research. And that's, yeah. that's awesome. Very cool. For sure. Very. What else y'all got? The, uh, the other I, uh, one that I had. More on you. Uh, yeah, so the, the one I had was really around, so I, well, with pretty much every release, new release of Ubuntu that comes up, especially in LTS, we're coming up on LTS 2004, uh, so that should release probably sometime in the next two weeks, so I think they're on release candidate five right now for the next Ubuntu release, so 
Yeah, I, I use Linux at home. Uh, I have a little tote PC that almost always has it on it. And, uh, but I always look to other PCs that I could get during that time frame. So once again, I've been looking, uh, especially with, you know, as we've been texting back and forth, me joining the, the release team for, for Kubernetes for 1.19, oh. talking to myself, I was like, I need, I want a space that I don't mess with because I struggle with that. So if I were to, I've been looking at this System76 Lemur Pro. I also looked at the XPS uh, 13 because I just think it's the best 13 inch piece of machinery on the planet. And, and so it's just, I've always wanted one of those, but I also got rid of my gaming laptop recently. So I've been looking into more. And I don't know if you guys know this, but Intel has just dominated the laptop space. Yeah. I mean, they've really computer, dominated computing forever. AMD is releasing new CPUs on their, their new Zen architecture, seven nanometer design, which smokes Intel. The, 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 we're seeing an eight core, 16 thread CPU inside of a 14 inch laptop that is using only 35 watts and can get eight to 10 hours of battery life out of a workload that also has a GPU in it. We're also getting 120 hertz screens on 13 and 14 inch laptops. So Asus has one, Razer just released one. I mean, it's, it's pretty crazy. So your next laptop purchase, if you can get one with one of the newer AMD CPUs in it, honestly, I would probably recommend it uh, because there's just a lot of value that they're pushing. I mean, some of these laptops are $1,400 when you could have gotten one that didn't get you any battery life for about $400 more than that with the same specs from Intel. So that's the, crazy. Yeah, it's lots of good value and there's tons of them going out there. The problem we're seeing with some of these smaller form factor ones is there's not a lot of these high quality screens being made. Mm. So the 120 hertz screens that they're using have these crazy high uh, response time to them. So like 35, 40 milliseconds. Ooh which playing a game on is just, it's a, it's a blur fest. There's yeah, not a not whole fun. lot you can get out of that. So, so it's, it's definitely early stages of getting these super ultra portable, ultra portable, sure. portable, but also, um, you know, high battery life workstations. So I don't know if I'm going to get one of those or not, or just go get my little, you know, 15 watt Lemur Pro from System76. That's uh, but I'm, that's something I've been looking at and it's just incredibly interesting to me. Just the idea of having a CPU, that competes with my desktop CPU, which is yeah, no that's joke. wild. Nine hundred K at five gigahertz, everyone. That's what I got. That's and that's awesome. This thing competes with it. So and, uh, it's interesting. And, I had a oh, go ahead, go ahead. No, go ahead, Tom. Go ahead. Uh, I was going to say uh, I actually had an, another topic that um, I, it's probably a quick touch, but it actually well, before you change topics, that. just in related news, um, just to share the headline: uh, Intel Corp is uh, their earnings release is coming out tomorrow. So if you pay attention to that sort of thing. Uh, they're up big this morning, uh, but the market is in general. So yeah, yeah, the, that, that's no, that's really tomorrow. cool to see. And this this isn't a complete topic change. I think it's it's interesting because I think a lot of home users obviously think about power consumption, battery life, that kind of stuff in a laptop, and just being able to squeeze more out of less. But uh, I actually saw a headline that said data center power consumption has held steady at one percent of global demand over over the last few years. Um, and which is crazy considering, you know, like what hyperscalers are doing and cloud adoption in general, you, you'd expect to see that. But the efficiencies that are going into these designs, that focus on being able to do the same amount or more with less power is actually pretty, uh, pretty wild. And so yeah, at a global a, data center demand perspective, holding flat at 1% is phenomenal. That's a strong point. I never thought to look at that data point. But yeah, I mean, if you think you know, about it. You know, and AMD is actually getting 
they're getting more dense into the data center. And oh, yeah. they are, I mean, manufacturing on a seven nanometer die, lower power consumption, they're getting way more cores in there. We're getting much more dense. I expect for Intel to eventually one day catch up. And between the two of them, I can see that go down, honestly. Because there, I mean, it's dramatic savings in power at the at the same or greater performance that we're seeing from this. So uh, that is awesome to see. For sure. All right. Uh, well, that is. We're basically at the uh, the bottom of the half hour here. Uh, I was. This is our first episode, everyone, and uh, I was looking to target maybe a ten minute show. There's just too much to talk about. And since this is basically a gossip show, um, I'll, I'll close it out with this article from, uh, from ours where they talk about uh, there's apparently some leaked plans from Amazon Ring showing potential new surveillance features where they're going to be offering uh, face detection and license plate reading and all this kind of fun stuff. Uh, what say you guys to that? Oof. Time to go and play my dots. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, man, it's always fun to see technology chugging along, but you, you take all the privacy stuff at the same time, and I, it, there's always a little bit of cringe that goes into it. Like it, it's it, great it, to see mainstream to use of that stuff. Yes, yes, and I, I mean it's it's the same old same old stuff. I forget what I was. Oh, I printed that dice tower. You guys follow me on on Twitter, right? You probably saw it. My my middle son decided he really wanted a print project that dice tower ended up being that that project and uh so i talked about yahtzee a couple of times because that's the game the dice game that got into it no joke i don't care what platform i'm on twitter you know uh reddit just random google searches yahtzee games are now in all of my feeds and there's there are only two places that could have come from it's <laughs> tweeting about it one time yep. or talking about it in my house and both of them are kind of creepy but give me you know, easy access to facial recognition technology and, uh, you know, maybe take my Yahtzee speak. <laughs> you're going to go walk by someone's house in the future and then you're going to see pictures of you in your feed. <laughs> That's going to be the next <laughs> Yeah, but like in their car. Gosh, you add that to the media synthesis stuff and everything that's happening with the deepfake technology and just being able to, to create video and audio with by learning other faces. Dude, just readily being able to pull people up and do crazy stuff like that is absolutely insane. Well, I gotta, I gotta go. I hate to cut you all off, uh, but I got another call that starts here in two minutes. Is there anything y'all want to plug? I do as well. I see y'all later. Nothing from me. Nope. Nothing. Okay. Well, gentlemen, thank you for joining me on the first ever Tech Breakfast podcast, and we'll talk to y'all soon. Cheers, y'all. Later. Thanks for joining.